In this COVID-19 era, public health concerns take center stage. The spread of the virus has exposed the healthcare infrastructure worldwide and underscores the importance of social safety nets for health, mainly healthcare insurance, and support for rural dwellers. Today, we look at another public health crisis that requires attention, that of cancer. Often described by the parts of the body it attacks, cancer comes in variety of forms. Today's host, Peter Angelili, have a two-part conversation with Joylene Chepkoria, the founder of Mwangaza Cancer Initiative, and Iniola Omori Akitunde, the founder of Niola Cancer Care Foundation. The organizations are leading initiatives in their communities in Kenya and Nigeria, respectively, to combat the spread of cancer through screening, public education, and advocacy. This is Leaders' Voices by Leaders of Africa, a podcast where we discuss African leadership from the perspective of thought leaders shaping politics, economics, education, and on this episode, halting the spread of cancer. We go to Peter and Jalili with part one of our conversation, featuring Joylene Chep Korea. Joy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with your background in public health advocacy, and I'm curious to know where your passion for confronting cancer on the continent of Africa, and specifically Kenya, comes from. My passion for public health in Kenya stems from me living in a low-income community with very few health centers. Actually, 100% of the people do not have health insurance. There is really limited access to health information. When I went to college, I definitely knew that I was going to pursue a career in the health field. And so I pursued nursing as a major. Cancer was gradually becoming a silent killer in my community, yet no one really seemed to understand the mystery surrounding it. There were more and more people being diagnosed at later stages, stage 3 and stage 4, whereby nothing could be done to like reverse the process and increase chances of survival. So as one of the very few students in my community that went to college, I went back home with an intention of doing a project in the health field to give back to my community. So I volunteered in the health centers to teach women and girls on breast and cervical cancer. And I also went to my former high school together with a friend, Willard Nahashan. So during my volunteer experience in summer 2017, I realized that there was broad knowledge gaps in cancer and so together with my friend Willard we decided we were going to start Mwangaza Cancer Initiative to address the same. We started as just the two of us and then gradually recruited volunteers from all over the country. Currently we are 29 in number and what we do is basically education and awareness on breast and cervical cancer. When you made up your decision to start a cancer initiative in Kenya, so I was wondering were there not any other existing initiative? If there were, why was it that you made a decision to start something on your own? 
and not to collaborate with existing initiatives. When I did research, I found out that most organizations are situated in Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya. There was no organization to collaborate with, and I realized the need to start an organization of my own to address the issue and then find organizations that are already addressing the same and collaborate with them. And for now, we are collaborating with the Kenya Cancer Association, Ken Cancer. They do almost the same thing, but it's a larger organization. And as I said, it's located in Nairobi and no other organizations that are advocating for cancer awareness in rural areas. So my organization is majorly focused on the rural areas where there's very few literate people and there are very few health centers that address any kind of disease. So you mentioned the Kenya Cancer Society. How often do organizations in Kenya come together to discuss some of the common issues that are occurring around cancer prevention and care in the country? There's a Relay for Life event in Kenya. It happens once a year in September. And that's like a nationwide event whereby all cancer organizations come together to fundraise, to raise awareness of all types of cancer thereafter contributed to help those that do not have health insurance and need chemotherapy or radiation therapy for cancer treatment. The larger organizations definitely have events that they usually organize with other organizations. Recently, I saw the First Lady of Kenya, Mrs. Margaret Kenyatta, Margaret Kenyatta launched a cervical cancer advocacy workshop recently in Nairobi and there were a whole lot of other organizations that attended and luckily we were represented by one member. So not so very often that we have organizations coming together to discuss the way forward. But for now, I know there is a hashtag being used for the year 2019 to 2022. The hashtag is I am and I will. And it's basically calling on everyone to advocate for cancer education, advocate for more resources to be allocated to cancer screening, diagnosis, and treatment. You just mentioned that there are efforts for people to come together to increase the temple of advocacy on cancer campaign in Kenya. How much of this can be taken as an effort at working together? Because people making calls that let's do this, let's do that, might not necessarily mean there are institutional efforts aimed at bringing everybody together what do you think is actually happening in terms of concrete effort to make this happen? It's an institutionalized effort. As I said, it is led by organizations. There's an umbrella called the Kenya Network of Cancer Organizations, uh, to which most registered cancer organizations in Kenya are a part of. So the Kenya Network of Cancer Organizations brings together all cancer organizations in Kenya and together come up with ways to tackle uh, the cancer crisis in Kenya. 
how much collaboration is taking place. Because in some countries across the continent, there's very little collaboration. So people are not necessarily working together or they're working together when they raise funds or they have some event. But it sounds like in Kenya, there's a lot more consistent collaboration taking place through some of these very strong umbrella organizations. Yes, for sure. There is collaboration among cancer organizations in Kenya, including the Kenya Cancer Association, Beth Mogo Cancer Organization to address uh, cancer as epidemic in Kenya. What is the agenda for some of these organizations? Is it promoting public health screening and awareness? Is it more focused on the issues of treatment when people have identified they have cancer? Is it about the care for people after they have cancer? Or is it all of them? But I can imagine that even if it is all of them, there's certain things that organizations under the umbrella are working to do more than others. Most cancer organizations that I know of focus on uh, educating the public on uh, the risk factors for cancer, including poor diet, being overweight, uh, lack of physical activity, uh, use of tobacco and uh, alcohol. And I think they know the importance of uh, prevention over the cure of the disease. Uh, so they also focus on educating the public on seeking screening measures, uh, including pap smear test, which is uh, a test for cervical cancer, encouraging women above 12 years to have the HPV vaccine, which is a preventive measure for HPV virus, which causes cervical cancer. I have also seen organizations offer free screening of the same. I've seen organizations that are addressing prostate cancer among men, offering free prostate cancer screening. Um, and then I have seen organizations like the Kenya Cancer Association that supports those that have been diagnosed with cancer and do not have health insurance by paying for their chemotherapy, uh, radiation therapy, and also surgeries to either remove lumps or lymph nodes when cancer has occurred. I would say that most organizations for sure are focusing on prevention over treatment because as you all know, prevention is better than cure. And it is really very important that when cancer is diagnosed at an early stage, it's treated before it's metastasizes to other parts of the body and it becomes really hard to treat it when it has spread to other parts of the body. I was wondering uh, what are the challenges uh, facing the uh, organizations that are working on cancer advocacy in Kenya? What are some of their challenges? Some of the challenges that are facing organizations that are addressing cancer in Kenya include illiteracy. At least the women that I've worked with uh, really know very little about health and healthcare, and it is very hard to relay information. Usually in my project, we have to go as far as using my first language to teach some of the cancer basics and it can be very hard to comprehend because of course medical terms sometimes are hard to explain. Other challenges include lack of funding. This is why cancer organizations come together every year 
to fundraise because the governments have not really allocated enough funding to tackle this crisis. And I would say it's important for every country in Africa to allocate funding to tackle cancer because there is an alarming rise in the rates of incidences of cancer. Another um, challenge is poor infrastructure. There are very simple tools that could be used for cancer screening, but most hospitals do not have the resources. So even though their healthcare providers, uh, nurses and doctors are knowledgeable on these things, there are not enough resources to screen for cancer. So you find that the only time that they discover this disease is when the individual is very sick and they begin to show symptoms that are arising from cancer spreading to other parts of the body from wherever it originated from. And it becomes very, very difficult to treat this disease. Are there any cultural taboos or stigmas that are attached to people with cancer? And if so, how does that influence how medical care practitioners, as well as those in the religious sector or those who are in religious communities, discuss and deal with some of these concerns about cancer, particularly when it comes to awareness and prevention? I know for sure there are myths surrounding cancer. I've heard some people say it's a curse and really do not believe that cancer is real. So it becomes very difficult to convince someone to seek medical attention when they begin to show signs. But this is mostly among the illiterate, but I would say gradually people are beginning to understand that cancer is real and there is need to seek medical attention once someone is screened and the disease is confirmed and diagnosed. So when people are diagnosed with cancer, what does the care look like in Kenya? Do people attempt to get and seek medical treatment domestically? Do some people attempt to go abroad for a treatment? What does treatment look like for those who have been diagnosed with cancer? For people that have been diagnosed with cancer, treatment can be very hard for uh, people without health insurance, which is like 90% of the population, really. Nowadays, what people do, they do fundraising in their own communities to fund chemotherapy, radiation therapy, or any surgery that has to be done to get rid of the tumor. But then for the privileged few people in society who are rich and can't afford treatment abroad, I have seen so many politicians in the past gone to countries like India, France, the U.S. And this is like the 1% of the population that can actually afford treatment abroad. And it's a sad thing because it means something is lacking in our own healthcare system in our own countries. First, as I said, there is poor infrastructure, which means really there is not enough resources to treat the disease we don't have um, a lot of oncology doctors. This adds up to everything else. So this is why individuals seek treatment abroad if they can afford. It's a sad situation. But as I've seen, communities are coming together, contributing millions of Kenyan shillings just for someone to have treatment in India. And 
that is for the famous few not not so many fundraisers can really contribute like a total of a million to get someone to be treated in India i've seen famous people meeting their targets and getting their treatment in India but then the low income families cannot afford that so when they go to hospitals and they have no health insurance most hospitals will turn them down and people just choose palliative care at home which is just like end of life care and making the individual comfortable and acknowledging that there's nothing that can be done about it you just spoke about uh, the fact that uh, cancer treatment is a big deal for people from uh, very poor homes and you also spoke about the fact that uh, there are no hospitals that can actually attend to cancer issues in Kenya so how much of a shift the folks in charge of cancer advocacy in Kenya making from primarily focusing on uh, cancer treatment raising funds to treat cancer patients to making each political statement that uh, everyone that gets on the ballot and will be elected into leadership position should give concrete promises on what they need to do differently to reposition the education in Kenya and in a way that it can drive the medical sector qualitatively such that they can produce a great medical doctors who can be treating cancer in the country and uh, how much of effort are you guys also making in the direction of making uh, the issue of hospitals that can attend to all sorts of illnesses in Kenya a 14 criteria on the ballots during electoral processes in, in Kenya recently when so many political leaders were being diagnosed of cancer that the ministry of health formed a committee to find ways to tackle this crisis it would be a good idea to have at least every leader or everyone seeking an election to include how they are going to tackle this disease in their manifesto so far i haven't seen anyone make cancer prevention diagnosis and treatment as their priority in their manifesto it would be nice to encourage policymakers to at least make hpv vaccines free for all teenage girls make cancer basics education in in let's say high schools mandatory because it's going to help people become knowledgeable about this disease the more we educate young people consequently leads to education of a whole community the kenyan government recently allocated funding for more doctors to be educated on cancer and for more research to be done on prevention of cancer to increase their probability for survival more research on screening methods and treatment So I want to go turn to a, a bit of a lighter note. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those who are in your organization now? What kind of background do they come from? Are they also in the public health field like yourself or are they doing other things? And what brought them to join your team in Kenya? Most of my team members have a background in the healthcare field. I have recent graduates in global health policy, but we also have some from diverse majors. one who is our public educator pursued education 
We have engineers, we have scientists. One of my team members did biochemistry and molecular biology. I would say my team is composed of people from diverse majors, but then most of them have a background in healthcare. And uh, one of the things that attracted them to our organization is the desire to pay it forward to the community. And this is a group of youth, so most of them are seeing how cancer is affecting our society uh, through social media. And they just want to be part of people providing solutions to this problem. And my team members were also attracted by the fact that we are not really after profit, but after saving people's lives through cancer prevention. Before these people joined our organization, we had an interview to make sure that this is an organization they really wanted to be a part of. And most people had that desire to contribute to the better good of the community by teaching them on cancer prevention, diagnosis and treatment. You kept saying that we make effort to educate people about what they need to do to prevent cancer, you know, from happening because prevention is better than cure. So there's this huge emphasis on prevention. Could you please go more in depth into that? What do you mean by your focus on prevention? We focus on uh, the prevention aspect of cancer and basically screening. So screening is one of the methods that has been proven to allow early detection and prompt treatment of cancer. So some of the things we do is using breast models to teach women how to perform breast self-examinations, which is basically a simple technique where women feel for lumps and the presence of fibrous tissues that are indicative of cancer. Of course, some of them are benign, meaning harmless, but then we always encourage women that if they ever see any of these signs to seek medical attention. Other signs of breast cancer also include dimpling, discharge from nipples, and In some cases, it's not cancerous, but still we encourage women to seek medical attention. But then the challenge there is getting these women to find the health centers that are able to examine them and confirm whether it's cancer or not. We also encourage women to have their HPV vaccines. And the challenge comes again, HPV vaccine is expensive in this case, but we are planning on collaborating with organizations that offer free HPV vaccines and we are advocating for the Kenyan government and all the other African countries to make HPV vaccines available to all teenagers and everybody, basically every woman in the country because it's going to be key in fighting cervical cancer. So this is why our organization focuses on um, the prevention aspect of cancer because if we prevented and if we are able to identify the risk factors, then people will easily stay away from anything that has been proven to cause cancer. That's just the easiest way to fight this disease. People say that cancer is related to how people grow their food, I mean, the food systems. Uh, cancer is related to environmental issues, you know, exposure to 
carcinogens in the form of our pollution, wherever, wherever. And that is related to all other issues. Is your focus on the prevention of cancer getting into these other drivers of cancer vis-a-vis educating people about paying attention to where the foods that they are eating are coming from, the chemicals that they use in growing their foods, and paying attention to the issue of environmental pollution and getting the government to do something about uh, all such activities that might be driving the rise in the incidences of cancer in Kenya. Yes, part of our education is ensuring that the public is aware of the risk factors for cancer, including poor diets. And we encourage people to eat organic foods because food processing industries are using a lot of chemicals that science has proven that could be causing some of these cancers that exist nowadays. We also encourage people to exercise. Weight causes a whole lot of different diseases and malformation in cells, which could be a factor in cancer. We discourage people from using tobacco and alcohol because these are some of the contributors of cancer. Obviously, some things are really hard to avoid, but the more that we make people aware of these factors, the more they consciously and intentionally pursue healthier lifestyles compared to if we just do not educate them and if they were not knowledgeable at all. And again, it's very important that the public is aware of some of the risk factors for cancer that science has proven. You get saying that uh, we educate women, we educate women, we educate women. Is it that uh, you guys don't educate men? Uh, you don't, uh, men, is it that men are not part of their cancer advocacy campaign? Our focus is women because we are focusing on breast and cervical cancer. And even though breast cancer is common in women, we also encourage men to be part of our education campaigns. And as a matter of fact, we have uh, men in our team. So we don't really exclude men. But we include them because breast cancer has been found in men in the past. They are free to attend our cancer awareness campaigns. And in the future, as I mentioned before, we are going to include prostate cancer as part of our education programs because prostate cancer is on the rise among men in every country. It appears that cancer medical tourism to India is a huge one in Africa. A couple of readings I've done and a couple of folks I've spoken with, they all make reference to India. And the question that comes to mind is this. How much of effort are organizations that are calling to, you know, educating the public on the issues of cancer in Africa, including in Kenya, how much of effort are they making to raise funds to have hospitals? that can actually, you know, provide those kinds of treatment and uh, care for people either in Kenya or in different parts of Africa. So that instead of taking people to India, people can be taken to maybe one of these world-class hospitals that these advocacy agencies, they've raised funds to establish in any African country. Is there any thought in this direction? To address cancer in Africa, 
there really has to be concerted efforts among cancer organizations and governments to address the disease and also collaboration with international organizations to address the same. In terms of funding, I would say every country needs to have a budget on how much to allocate to screening, how much to allocate to diagnoses and uh, supporting those that cannot afford out-of-pocket or uh, those that don't have health insurance in cancer treatment. So there's so much that has to be done. But I will say in the same way that countries were able to address HIV, they are able to come up with measures and effective ways to address cancer through funding, education, research, and treatment. One of our long-term goals as an organization is to ensure the establishment of a cancer center in Kericho and Bomet County. There are only less than five cancer centers in Kenya that focus on cancer treatment. And gradually, individual counties and governments are establishing cancer centers because the fact that cancer is on the rise every year it means that something has to be done and one of them is establishing cancer centers and hiring more oncology doctors and also establishing cancer research centers would be a really good one in Africa. We would know better ways to uh, screen for cancer and also treat cancer and not have to seek medical attention in countries like India that have really good health systems and great doctors that are able to treat this disease. So as a continent of Africa, really what we need to be doing now is building more cancer centers because there are very few in the whole continent. And when we have enough cancer centers, hire more doctors, then we will not have people dying prematurely of cancer because it was diagnosed at later stages and nothing could be done. So I think that's the route that every country in Africa should be taking. You mentioned that your organization is focused on rural areas. Are you specifically focusing on counties, for example, in the Rift Valley area of Kenya? Yes. My organization is focused on Bomet and Kericho counties, and that's where most of my team members come from. I started this organization as just like a community-based organization, really to pay it forward to my community, having been a beneficiary of the MasterCard Foundation Scholars Program. And one of the key things that the program emphasized was giving back to the community. So I started it as a community project. And then later on, I decided it would be good to include the whole of Bomet County. And then I went to school in Kericho County and schooled with so many people from Kericho. And we got so many volunteers from Kericho County and uh, they were like, well, why don't we um, extend our focus to Kericho County? And uh, I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And then slowly we recruiting volunteers from uh, all over the country so that we have volunteers in every county and uh, gradually we will become a national organization. So we will address cancer in every county in Kenya. 
because yeah cancer is on the rise in uh, rural areas like marginalized population so there's so much to be done in rural areas compared to urban areas because of illiteracy and if we have to address cancer we have to include everyone in our countries because everyone is susceptible to cancer based on the environments we currently live in and the risk factors that we are exposed to every day everyone needs to be a part of this thank you joy for joining us today you are welcome we are speaking about combating cancer across the continent in part two of our conversation peter and jolili speak with eniola akitunde of nigeria her organization niola cancer care foundation is involved in public education and advocacy efforts So I'm curious to know where your passion for confronting cancer comes from. The passion I had and the, the driving force behind Eniola going into cancer advocacy, creating awareness of colorectal cancer, was a journey that started 13 years ago, or let me say 12 years ago, yes. I got married to one of the most handsome guy, one of the most beautiful man in and out. cool headed interesting guy there's no dull moment with him he was my first love he was my classmate in university of lagos and then i fell in love with him we got married after we graduated from the university and then we had some personal challenges after then we went through a lot together but in all the love held us together and then we were together despite all the challenges like having challenges having issues we could not have a child we were having issue with having issue we were having problem with having a child and we were together for about 16 years i think for about 9 years or so both courtship and marriage then 2012 he became sick and then i thought we all thought is the normal sickness it would go away and the doctor was treating him they treated him, they started treating him and they thought he had typhoid they were treating him for, for typhoid they treated him before them we did self medication it was treated for malaria then after that they treated him for typhoid after then he wasn't getting better he said he was getting worse okay now without took him to the hospital he was he was admitted and they started carrying ch- test investigation to know what exactly was wrong that they got to a stage they told us that his blood was polluted that he had he had his uh, the blood is polluted that he has something in the blood i can't even understand what they were saying and then another treatment started they were trying to investigate what is causing the what caused the infection there's infection in his blood and then before we know it his stomach be- started swollen we spent about a thousand almost a thousand dollars on that and that was like that was huge money we're like what and he was asking me what is wrong with you what are they looking for why are we paying so much to know what is wrong with me and i said i don't know too i don't know but i think they want solutions so let us just do what they want us to do and we did everything and then after the whole thing they called us inside and my doctors would his doctor could even look us in the face and tell us that he had cancer but eventually they gave us one write up one the result of the clinical test and everything we did and we saw cancer something like cancer and that was how the journey started what was your reaction to the diagnosis and what sort of treatment did you pursue we thought it's a child play i thought it's something simple 
they said, okay, the next is to do a surgery that the tumor is growing in the stomach, they will remove it. So they did surgery. They removed the tumor. And the next stage was to start chemotherapy. And I thought it's very easy. If it's chemo, is it not to just take drug? And that's the end. Low and below. He said, we have to go to another hospital. When we got there, and we saw all sorts of patients, all sorts of people suffering from cancer. It's depressing what we saw. In fact, let me tell you, the truth of my husband, my husband nearly passed out that day. Because at that time, he was still very sick. He nearly passed out. I have to hold him and tell him that, come, this is not the end of the world. Don't worry, let's see what's going to happen. If it's 3,000 every 10 days, I don't know how we are going to get it. So I was like, okay, fine. If it's 310,000 every week, let's go back to friends and family. Let's cry to them and let's, let us tell them our challenges and we'll see how to raise it. He did all the courses and then, then we were and we were happy after the the first section that's taken all the and that's about a few months or so, about two or three months. Then we were like, oh fine, we are done. And we were like, okay, it's going to rest. That after a while it will do radiotherapy. But the radiotherapy, the machine is not working as at that time. That they need to fix it and all that. And there's a long queue that when we are coming for the radiotherapy, we have to get there early, sometimes as early as 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. in the morning because there's no... That's at that time, I think it's the only chemotherapy working in Nigeria. We are talking about of a, a country of 180 million. Again, we are about 200 million now. That's about 180 million. And that is the only machine working. So how effective were the treatments? It seems like there were many signs of hope. Seeing your husband, the handsome man, and he's changing right in front of you, and they are telling you that it's because he had cancer and it's because he's on chemotherapy that he has to go through all this. He has turned to black, like charcoal black. I, I can't even recognize And What I did in the house was to remove all the mirror in the house so that he won't look at himself. Low and below, he became sick again. We rushed him to the hospital and they told us the cancer is back. And I was like, What? The cancer is back. They said this cancer is back. Why did we take all those drugs? Why did we take all those chemo that is so expensive? And they said, they, nobody can explain it, that that is cancer for you. That is back. And it's back, it's back, it's back in a very bad and deadly way. Ah, so, okay, what do we do? I said, okay. Now, and I gave up on Nigerian treatment. That's the honest truth. So I told the, uh, the oncology doctor here that, no, I'm going to take him out of the country. You said you wanted to seek treatment outside of Nigeria. I understand you went to India for medical care. What happened when you pursued treatment in India? When we got to India, they, they started all over. They did all the screening they need to do and everything. Then after the whole thing, they sat me down. I thought they have good news for me, only for them to tell me that it's too late. He has few weeks to leave. And where I'm coming from, we are a Christian, we are, I'm, I'm a Christian, and then my country, our tradition and belief, we don't talk about death. We don't accept it. You don't even tell somebody is going to die. We are not used to it. We don't at all. It's forbidden. You can't be telling somebody, see, your husband is going to die. And I go to India, and the oncology doctor sat me down, the nurses sat me down, and they were telling me that, see, your husband has few weeks more to live, and... That news, I passed out in India, as in I fainted. All over the world, people patronize India. 
on medical tourism. So they knew what they are going to expect from me. They knew I'm going to reject it. They knew I'm going to call Jesus. They knew I'm going to pass out. They knew I'm going to start shouting. So they knew perfectly what my reactions were going to be. They knew. And they told me that if he had business in Nigeria and is wealthy, there are some jobs they can give him to tidy up his business in the next six months or two. I should give him whatever he needs. I should support him in any way. And at this stage, I myself stopped leaving. But I was trusting God. And I, when they were saying all this, because as a Christian, I was using the word against them. Whenever I say they say anything, I will say, in Jesus' name, is not going to die. My husband would not die. Don't tell me this. That is not our portion. I started learning about human body, which I don't know before. How, how cancer eats up organs, how it spread, what it does to the body. And they never denied me any information. The Indian doctors were carrying me along. They were releasing information to me. When I asked questions, they were not angry. They would tell me. They were like, they want to put him to sleep. And I said, no. In my country, you don't put people to sleep. I believe in the word of God. He's not going to die. I believe he's going to make it. And they were telling me, he's not going to make it. This man you're seeing, he will soon die. He has two more weeks to live. And as at that time, I, so it got to a point I have to tell him. Because... He got to a point he couldn't do a lot of things on his own again. And, he, and my husband was asking me, Eniola, what is wrong with me? What did the doctor tell you that day? And I said... When your husband heard about the prognosis, what was his reaction? If his condition became deteriorated, then there's a particular day he requested that he wants to see his doctor. So I, I, I he said he wants to see whatever it is, he wants to know what's wrong with him. So I knew that day they were going to tell him. That's what they've told me. So the doctor told him that, Mr. Kitunde, you have you have few weeks more to live and then you are going to die. Then my husband was shocked. He was like, he's going to die. He said, yes. And my husband turned to me and Yola, that is, you know that I'm going to die. After they told you, I said, yes. They told me two weeks ago that you are going to die. But um, as a Christian, I'm not taking their word. I'm standing on the word of the Lord. We said you are going to live and see your children's children. So I don't believe what they are saying. And the doctor said, you are going to die, but what you would like is that if you die, it will be very difficult to take you back home. That they want you to go back home now. And um, it will be easier for you to die at home with your loved ones. So my husband said, okay, it's not going anywhere. That they should continue with the treatment. <laughs> and the doctor said, your body cannot take the chemo again. Can't take any treatment. If they give you any treatment here, the death will come faster. And 10 days after they told him, my husband died. You've told us a lot about what happened in India, how your husband got treated in India. So from India to Nigeria, how did the Neola Cancer Care Foundation actually started? How did it start? Because I've never heard about colorectal cancer before. And the, the first time I've heard about colorectal cancer was in 2012 when it was diagnosed. Then the experience in India that because I'm a Christian and... Um, I, I've never I've never experienced where a doctor will be telling me someone is going to die and truly the person died. I've never experienced it in my life. It doesn't happen in Nigeria. You don't tell a patient. Maybe now the doctors have started doing that, but and even death, there's still a, a challenge in doing that. Then awareness on colorectal cancer is minimal. And so all oh, these are some of the lessons I learned in that and the experience with my late husband. Then I realized that most people, even after I passed on, when I tell people that he died from colorectal cancer, people don't know what is colorectal cancer. So I sat down, then I have to start thinking of what do I do? What do I give back to my country? I can't just go through all this and I keep it to myself. No. 
there's a purpose. There must be a reason why I have to go through this pain because the pain was just too much for me alone, for me to, to have gone through such. The truth of the matter is that there's a lot that is wrong with our, with our healthcare system in Nigeria. But I believe we are going to get it right someday and the only way they can get it right is that people like us that are not keeping quiet people like us that have gone through the pain people have like us that have seen what is being done outside nigeria and then we should be able to replicate same here we should be able to look to our doctor and tell them that this is not right we can do it this way there's a lot a lot of work to be done Tell us a little bit about what Neola Cancer Care Foundation does in the community. We started officially, we started the NGO about five years ago. What do we do? We are able to navigate. Now we are able to tell cancer patients, if you see any cancer patient, we come in between the cancer patient and talk to the doctors. And we're able to take that off. We're able to tell the doctor, okay, this and this and this, we think this is the right thing to do. Because some doctors can't even tell patients that the cancer is far gone, their disease is far gone. And these patients will believe they are going to make it. They will be spending so much money. So the NGO does that. Then another thing the NGO do is that to, we'll be able to create awareness on colorectal cancer. And we are talking about speaking to over 50,000 people. I think it's even more than that because we've done several programs. We've been on TV, we've been on radio, collaborated with different NGOs, both Nigerian and outside, to talk about colorectal cancer, create awareness of colorectal cancer. We've been able to screen over 1,000 people for colorectal cancer. And we've been able to reach out to over 1,000 cancer patients. In the last five years, we spent Christmas Day with cancer patients. And then we've been able to hold the government accountable. We've been able to tell the government there are some things that you are not doing right. We've been able to tell the government that what Nigerian is being, what they are being fed on, there's something wrong with what we are eating. There's so much toxin in the air. In what I eat in the air, in our food, in almost everything we are eating in this country. Are you supporting research and researchers? Oh, yes, that's a good one. We are working, we, we've started something little because we have challenges too as NGOs. We are underfunded. But aside from that, we are doing in our own little way supporting research because we are the only way we can move forward and have headways by doing research, working with scientists and the researchers. So, could you please uh, tell us, uh, uh, yeah, you've spoken so much about a number of things. Uh, you've spoken about uh, how you got uh, your foundation started and the advocacy and other forms of activities that you've embarked upon in the country to sensitize the populace and policymakers uh, towards what needs to be done to address the rising tides of uh, cancer and other related terminal diseases in the country. Uh, could you please speak to some of the challenges you are facing in the discharge of your responsibilities? The number one challenge is funding. Funding is a major challenge, but that is not stopping us from not doing what we need to do. It's not stopping us from not pushing harder and making sure we are taking the message out there. Funding is number one. Number two, there are staff challenges. As, as, as an organization, we have staff challenges, though we have volunteers. With my recent meeting in, in Los Angeles about a few months back, I met with some other cancer NGOs, ecolorectal cancer NGOs, and we were rubbing my sharing our challenges together. And I found out that even when it comes to volunteering 
on people volunteering for cancer's organization. What I thought is that I thought is, is just peculiar to Nigeria, and I realized that is a major, it's a global thing that even they they too experience it in US. And what happens is that volunteers will come up, they want to help you, they want to advocate, they want to support the NGO because maybe they have somebody who is suffering from cancer or they have a patient, maybe a relative, maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a loved one and a sister. But immediately that person passed on. If they lost that person, most volunteers will stop supporting the NGOs. And there's no how you can, you can do it alone. No. Then another challenge is the government too. That's, uh, that's why we are holding them accountable. They have to listen to us. They have to, they have to work. We have to work together because they can't do it alone. And we don't want to see it as if they are not doing anything. I'm not going to speak like that. I'm still going to speak. I still believe that the, the little they are doing is to, to their own understanding. But even at that, we still hold them accountable. Then we also have the beliefs. Like Nigeria now, we have so many challenges when it comes to cancer. Because Nigeria is a religious country. And you're getting the message out there. People don't even want to listen to you. They feel that... Um, is a spiritual thing. They feel that he, you, are, you are talking about maybe it's a cause and the, his wishes that causes there's a supernatural power that brings cancer, that causes cancer for someone to suffer from cancer. So when you talk about it and you hear this more in Nigeria, which we have to we have to bring out the slogan to communicate the message to people. You hear people saying, it is not my portion. Because in the Bible, portion is biblical. So they said, cancer is not their portion. So they don't even bring it up. And we, as an angel, we've asked them, whose portion is cancer? Whoever prayed to have cancer? Who wishes to have cancer? Nobody. So is cancer is nobody's portion. So don't tell me it's not my portion because they don't want to hear the message. They'll just tell you it's not their portion. Don't even bring it. Don't discuss it. But as an NGO, these are the challenges we sat down and we analyzed. And like, how do we go about this? So then also, Nigerians, like everybody knows, Nigerians love party. Nigerians love dancing. So we sat down as an NGO. What do we do to get the attention of the people? This message must be, must be heard there. We must be able to... Talk about cancer. Let people know that this is, is not their portion. They need to eat right. They need to do this. They need to get their same screen. They need to be aware there's a problem. It's not a spiritual thing. It's not as if a wish is causing it. It's either what you are eating. It's either what you're drinking. It's either what you are inhaling. There's something that is causing it. Not, this is not spiritual. Of course, it's good to pray. I'm a Christian too. Yes, it's good to pray. I'm not ruling that fact that you have to call on God. I so much believe in God. I know there's a spiritual being. I need. I know there's. there's I, I believe there's God, and I also pray. But you need to do the other side. So what do we? What we did in the NGO was that how do we get the attention of Nigeria to listen to this cancer and create awareness on colorectal cancer in Nigeria? We sat down and we created a program, an annual event, which we called Ijoya. Ijoya. That is I J O Y A. Ijoya is about dancing exercise, aerobics. And another fact is that Nigerians don't even, even exercise. We don't. We are not a country that really do exercise. And these are the the, the, main, the main part of causes of cancers, including colorectal cancer. Sedimentary lifestyle. Sedimentary lifestyle is part of colorectal, the causes of colorectal cancer. You need to move your body. You need to move your bowels. So we sat down as an NGO and we, we created a program. So we do that annually, whereby we bring people together 
we bring dancers, we play Nigerian music, then we bring aerobics, we dance, we bring dance instructors, we do exercise, and then we also do screening. While everybody is dancing, we call, we, then we make announcements, come and do free screening. Yes, though we get organizations to partner with us or we get people to donate for us on the screening. So they come and they do free screening. They do free screening on FOBT, that's for colorectal cancer. That's the first investigation and diagnosis for, for colorectal cancer. First investigation to be sure if you are bleeding, FOBT, that's a fecal or cord blood test to check and it's the checking of stool. We get your stool, your stool your stool sample to check if you are bleeding, what to see there, they will know. If it's positive, it's positive doesn't mean you have cancer. It means that something is happening in your large intestine that needs to be checked out. Further investigation will now be carried out to be certain and be sure what exactly is going on. And that is why the NGO, that is where the NGO comes in. Instead of you just treating pile and ulcer, you don't even know what exactly is wrong with you, then it now gets out of hand. It's better to pick it early. So then other partnering NGOs like breast cancer NGOs, cervical cancer NGOs do also come in to partner with us at Ijoya to do screening for women on cervical and breast cancer. But mainly our NGO is on colorectal cancer. So do you think that there are too many NGOs in the cancer prevention and care space? One of the things you mentioned was funding. One could argue it could be better to have one or two or maybe three larger NGOs in the cancer care space. So what do you think about the issue of having perhaps too many NGOs? Would it be not better to pool resources by having fewer NGOs in Nigeria? My honest thought, having many NGOs is even helping the situation because we are talking about a country that they have challenges in their health care management and cancer control. We have, in fact, I've said this several times that the federal government should declare state of emergency in cancer control and management in Nigeria. So even the NGO are the one even helping. That's the only means that people are running to. So the burden is on the NGOs. How many cancer patients have the opportunity to walk up to National Assembly or get access to funding or treatment? No. So we, they run up to us, they have access to us, and most times we normally take this up. Before we can start talking about there are too many NGOs on cancer control and management or cancer awareness or when we have too many, then there should be other alternatives. The healthcare system must be working. There should be health insurance. We don't have all that in Nigeria. It's not still working. Everything is still in process. I read something some time ago, about a few days ago, I saw it online that the National Assembly... National Health Insurance and all that, and I saw it, and there was a number on it. So we are just starting, Nigeria is just starting to do one or two things, and good one anyway, and because we won't keep quiet. But it's not yet time for us to start saying we have too many NGOs, because we don't even have, really have cancer centers. We don't really have working health. One of the issues that, when you keep speaking about the activities of cancer advocacy groups in the country, you keep saying that... Uh, we have this challenge, we have the challenge that some of the people, we couldn't reach out to them. There's this religious belief. And I, I kept wondering that, one, what is the current coverage of the advocacy groups, the cancer advocacy group in the country? Is it that most of you are operational in the big cities like Ibadan, like Lagos, like Abuja? Then what happens to the other places that are not being covered? Wouldn't that mean that you need to actually focus more on getting the government to do the right thing? 
since it appears that it's the government that has the greater capability to reach a good number of people in the country, speaking to the issues uh, that are, you know, driving, you know, this rising incidence of cancer in, in the country. So how would you respond? That's a good one because I, on the cancer group this morning, I saw my colleague, some of the advocates who went to remote northern states, northern villages. And the northern core part of the north that even some of us, are not, we are not from the north, based in Lagos, my colleague went into all these villages to talk about cancer. So yes, we still have the government. <laughs> then we, we have the little challenge of the security aspect of it that people were like, oh, there are some northeast that you can't even go to. But where we can go to, my colleagues in this advocacy thing, they, they, are, they are there. They still make efforts to go and create the awareness. And even we, we still have some remote states and remote community in Lagos too, that when you get there, you'll be shocked that it's this part of Lagos. We go there too. We don't, we don't restrict it to the, to the town. No, we go because the message must be taken everywhere. Though the, most times when you go there, another thing that most of them, poverty, before they can listen to you, you have to give them something. Maybe food, you can go with food, you can go with clothes, not necessarily money, no. You can go with clothes, you can go with something to just so that you can get their attention. Because someone who is hungry, that's not eating, how do will they listen to a message you want to <laughs> they, they won't listen, so you have to just give them something. Okay, if it's book, if it's maybe clothes, if it's food, you go with, okay, we have something for you, we want to, dis- we want to share something with you. They will listen. They will listen. So we, it's not restricted to, to the town. We, we, we do go to villages, though it's, as I've said, we still have our challenges, but we, we make effort in doing the advocacy work. So there's this saying about uh, cash them young. It appears that a lot of civil society organizations that are interested in uh, stimulating changes in the society, they, they draw on this concept of cash them young, which might mean that uh, going to primary school, going to secondary school, speaking with those very young folks over there and uh, getting them to be aware of the issues uh, surrounding cancer in the hope that a lot of them will go back home, discuss with their parents and get this conversation about what they need to do right, what they need to do differently. So how much of this Catch Them Young philosophy is playing out in the programmatic activities of different cancer advocacy groups in the country? That is one thing that Neola Cancer Care Foundation, that the, the foundation I work for, that we do. Last year, we were in Ikorodu. We went to a secondary school in Korodu and a primary school in Korodu to speak about cancer, to create cancer awareness, and then to tell them that, as you said, Catch Them Young so that they will take the message back home. And it was a fantastic <laughs> outing that day because you could see little children asking some questions and we're like, wow. So they too understand what is going on. And you can see one of them asking that uh, someone was sick in my family. And we now asked the person what was the symptoms. He said he was so sick and all that. And it was interesting. We said, okay, did the person go to the hospital? When you see somebody that is sick, go to the hospital. When your parents are sick, go to the hospital. When you are not feeling fine, go to the hospital. And so those are the things we do that. Then Neola Cancer Care Foundation in 2018, we screened over 200 Lagos State teachers in Lagos State Superb, Maryland, Maryland in Lagos. We did FOBT on them. We took this two sample. Advanced countries have gone beyond collecting samples. But you can imagine if an NGO is collecting samples of people's stool, we collect over 200 samples of people's stool and we tested it. Few ones were positive. 
let's say about that's about 200 about 15 percent was positive and we reached out to those 15 percent that was positive and we told them that please you need to get yourself checked out because you are a teacher you you and we need you in the society you are taking care of our kids so we don't want anything to happen to you. You need to go for further investigation. And we are there to navigate, to tell them, okay, this is what you will do. You need to go to maybe Lagos University Teaching Hospital for further investigation and all that. And then we also talk to the teachers that, do you tell your student, to your people that this and this is happening? Their eating habits, their lifestyle. Because as you've said, catch them young. The earlier, the better we start imbibing the healthy living and healthy lifestyle in our kids, the better for our, for our nation and the better we can combat cancer in Nigeria. Because we are even seeing younger people with cancer now. So it's not, it's not only adults. We've read a lot of things in Nigeria that when people sick, many a times they possibly think it's because of uh, some magical power or some magical spells that were done against them by their perceived enemies. We've heard that uh, some of these beliefs are being reversed by religious groups in the country who claim to be doing miracles, to be healing people who have cancer, who have HIV, who have headache and all sorts of diseases that also have been treated in hospitals. So what efforts are you making to, to speak with religious authority on how one way or the other constraining the effort being made by organizations like you to educate the people that cancer is not a spiritual spell and that religious organizations should stop promoting it as one of such that is as a result of the handiwork of their passive enemy. So how much of effort are you making in this direction? Our organization and some other cancer NGO, what we do now is to go to churches. It's part of, in fact, it's, it's a must. We actually walk to churches, write to them and tell them that we are coming to speak. Because we make them to understand the pastors that you need to listen to us. Because the truth of the matter is that you are overworking yourself. Because when you don't listen to us, your members will put pressure on you. What's the pressure? They will ask you to pray. They will tell you all sorts. You will pray and pray and pray. to so see as if the prayer is not working. And it's not as if the prayer is not working. But they are not keeping their own side of the bargain. What is their own? Their own is to get themselves checked up. Their own is to listen to the medical advice. Their own is to go to the hospital. Why you are praying for them? It's not for them to leave the medical advice, to abandon the medical advice, and stick only to what the pastor says. It's totally wrong and it's killing us. I'm not saying prayer is not working. I have a spiritual father too. I go to one, my church is Fountain of Life Church and my pastor Odukoya. And pastor Odukoya supported me when I was taking my husband to India. In fact, the church and himself paid part for the treatment and they, he even supported the chemotherapy while he was praying for me. He never at one point told me not to go to India, not to take care of my husband, not to take to medical advice. No. So why are people drinking anointing oil? Why? Cancer is not a spiritual illness. It's what it is. It's as a result of what people eat. It's as a result of what is going on in the environment. Environmental pollution is as a result of their lifestyle and a number of issues. So exactly. maybe that's one of the things you guys need to do differently in the yes, country. Yes, yes. We are, we are working tirelessly. On, on, okay. on a final note, I'd like to ask a question about what are you guys doing in, in the area of education, particularly yeah, the higher institutions in the country, to get the issue of cancer and other terminal diseases given focal attention 
it may be things related to general knowledge or courses that are taught in the university. We are aware that at the university level in Nigeria, students do take some general level courses. Either you are in engineering, you are in, you are in medicine, you are in sociology, you are in physiology. I mean, there are courses that all students that pass through the university system or polytechnic system will do in their first year. So what effort are the people that are advocating on cancer, what effort are they making to get some of these issues of terminal disease into a driver on the cost listing of those things that are being taught as general courses in the university and polytechnics across the country? Okay, that's a good one. And um, we'll keep doing our bit. It's as if when you mention one topic, we've gone ahead, though we might not have gotten results. I finished from one of the prestigious investing in Nigeria, which is University of Lagos, and I wrote to the authority as one well last year on what you're talking about, that how can we sit down and see how we can come in to talk about the cancer? Because we just have to talk about, it's a conversation that must be taken to every nooks and cranny of Nigeria, including our higher institution. And um, I think the school, the authority are so busy, they've not responded back to me, but we'll write again to them, but we've written that letter which even the VC knows that because I, before I send that letter, I sent him a private message. And those are the things we are talking about and because we've sat down as an organization that's Newla Cancer Care Foundation and we've thought ahead about this thing. How do we change the narrative? And even churches, as I've said, in fact, when it comes to cancer, reducing cancer burden in Nigeria, the churches is number one. We need to work, as you said, all the advocates and the advocacy organization, the cancer organization, needs to sit down and see how we can work with Nigerian churches. Though we do one-on-one, I've been to so many churches too, um, we've spoken about it, and there are some churches like, um, I don't want to mention name, they've started keying into it, they even ask for invitation and they will ask you, can you come and speak? Because even the pastors know that we have to do this. So the same thing with our higher institution too. So I, personally on our own NGO, we've done that with, that's my alma mater. And um, the work is a work in progress and they won't get tired until we get results. Until cancer death rate reduced from 71,000 annually to maybe 1,000 annually in Nigeria. That's Nigerian data rate. And over 200,000 cases annually. We are talking about that is serious. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a good one at all. That's you have 70,000 death rates. And those are the recorded ones. What about the ones that are not recorded? And do you realize that most Nigerians don't even have access to 8K? So that means it's times three or times four. So thank you so much, Eniola, for accepting to feature on our program today. And we commend the activities of your organization and other groups that sensitizing the public in Nigeria on issues surrounding cancer. We hope that when we extend invitation to you, you'll be glad to join us on the Leaders' Voices. And uh, we wish you the very best and your organization the very best. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you to your wonderful team. The views expressed in this interview are the guests' own and do not necessarily reflect those of leaders of Africa and the Leaders of Africa Institute. Cancer continues to be a major and growing public health concern. Do you have thoughts on cancer care and investment in health infrastructure and health care? Share your comments and questions at your voice at leadersofafrica.org. To learn more about Leaders of Africa, visit our website, leadersofafrica.org 
and follow us on social media. And that is it for this episode of Leaders' Voices from Leaders of Africa. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.